0: Take your Bibles with me this morning and open them back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Some of you who went home for the summer, you are probably just flat out amazed at how fast we went through Luke over the summer months. I think when you left, we were maybe at the end of chapter 7. We are now in the middle of chapter 9, so uh, buckle up and hold on because we are still moving very quickly. We come to Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Really the the meat of the gospel of Luke is found in this chapter. Such a significant portion of our Christian faith and and who our Lord is and what he requires is found in verses 18 through 26 verse 27 or so. And so we've spent some time here, rightly so. Today we come to a text where Jesus is commanding us of how to live and who we are to be. And quite frankly, it is one of those passages of Scripture that um, is so vitally important for us that it is hard to communicate. The truths that we discover in this text are not only truths for our church to stand upon, But everything we look at in this passage applies directly to each and every soul who would ever read these words. What we look at today is perhaps one of the most significant shortcomings and struggles of both the individual believer as they walk the Christian walk and the church as we bring people along in the Christian faith. What we look at today are the true marks of a disciple. What does Jesus say is a disciple? And that's a significant question. An important question. What is Christian discipleship? It's a simple question, and yet you may find in your own heart and your own mind that it is somewhat difficult to answer and explain. We could change the terminology, what is Christian maturity? As we strive to mature in Christ and in the faith and no longer remain babes in the Lord, what does it mean to mature? What does that look like? We could even broaden it out and make it more general. What is Christianity? For really, there is no distinction between Christianity and true discipleship. The disciple of Christ is a Christian, and the Christian should be a disciple of Christ. And that's an important question because that's what each and every one of us are striving after. Discipleship. Maturity. To walk and live and be satisfied in the Christian faith. And so, what we come to this morning in Luke chapter 9 is incredibly important, incredibly significant. It's a forefront priority for us, the church. It's Forefront priority for our own personal lives as we are trying and striving to grow in the Lord. And yet, the passage we come to is perhaps one of the most difficult texts to obey in all of Scripture. In fact, the truths found in this passage are truths that you will have to spend the rest of your life fighting for every day to be obedient to them. The things we come across here are not instantaneous things. They're not something that are. Uh, they're not things that are invested into your heart in a moment's time. They are repeated things, reoccurring things. In fact, Jesus says they are daily things. As we come to look at the Lord's definition of discipleship, we find again with it. The very definition of Christianity and that definition according to Christ is the rejection of self and the embracing of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. To increasingly so reject yourself, your desires, your works, your self-righteousness, your abilities. To increasingly reject yourself and embrace Jesus and on the surface level and in in our language that is a a fine good grand thought none of us would disagree with that statement but Jesus is not just tossing about words here he's getting into the way we live our lives and when we get into the way we live, live our lives it is incredibly difficult to reject self and embrace Jesus daily This text, this call to discipleship from the Lord, this definition of discipleship from the Lord is a difficult one. And there are no exceptions to it. No other routes. When Jesus says that you must follow Me and to follow Me means to deny yourself and to embrace Me, He says it to... All people, you look in verse 23, Luke gives us the context. He said to all, now this most certainly means the disciples whom he's having this conversation with, but also by implication, anybody else who's listening, there is no exception. It extends to all people of all times, of all ages. You have to, if you're going to follow Jesus, deny yourself. That church is not an easy Christianity. And that is not a feel-good Christianity. And that is not a prosperity theology. And that is not a if I follow Christ, everything's gonna be hunky dory and all right. That is a difficult Christianity right there. What Jesus calls followers to in these verses is a calling of pain, rejection, resistance, endurance, perseverance. It's a calling of denial. If you would come after Christ, he says. you have to give up yourself. And that is actually impossible. That's why we can say discipleship as defined by Christ is also the same thing as Christianity because what Jesus calls you to today, you cannot do on your own. You have to be a Christian to accomplish. Nobody in their own strength, their own, in their own ability and own power can deny themselves. It's an unnatural act. It's a supernatural act. It's only brought about by the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. God's work of grace within our hearts. These things can only be accomplished if we are born-again Christians submitting to the work will of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to find three major marks, I think, in this text of what a true disciple looks like. And it's important to remember that Jesus is the one here defining this and explaining this. Let's get into the passage this morning. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. In fact, let's back up to verse 18 because it's all one singular conversation and then we'll get down to our verses for this morning. Verse 18, Luke writes and says, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with Him. And He asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of Me and of My words of Him will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of His holy angels. A very thick passage of Scripture. A very compelling passage of Scripture. It should spur us on to, to strive for more faithfulness to Christ and to put in more work and more effort to walking with the Lord and in holiness. But at the same time, it's a highly convicting passage. An incredibly difficult thing. Not a one of us have obeyed the Lord's commands here perfectly, have we? This is something we struggle with and yet, without exception, something we are called to. The first mark we find in this passage is in verse 23 and 24. The first mark of a true disciple is forsaking yourself. Forsaking yourself. That is the call of Christ. The call to give up who you are. Give up Everything about you. It is perhaps the single most difficult and life-changing call extended to humanity ever. It goes against our very nature. It goes against who we are. We have a a built-in instinct of survival. And we encounter a Savior here who says if you're going to follow Me, you have to deny yourself. This very truth and this very calling denounces the belief that Christ exists for your wants and your desires, doesn't it? It rejects the thought that Christ exists to make you a better you. Christianity and true discipleship and truly following after Christ does not mean Christ has called you or come to make you a better you. Christ has come and called you to die to yourself. What a sobering reality. He hasn't come to renovate you. He hasn't come to overhaul you. He hasn't come to remodel you. Christ has come to destroy you and rebuild you in Himself. So that the desires you once had, the heart that you once possessed, the perspective on life that you once had, even the way you thought about things would be changed. Christ has come to completely invade those who trust in Him for salvation. That's discipleship. Now, the Lord mentions three specific things in verse 23. Each one difficult in their own right. First, you'll notice the absoluteness here. He says, if anyone would come after me. This applies to all. If anybody desires to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, number one, let him deny himself. We are commanded to deny ourselves. Again, no easy task. And yet, according to the Lord, essential to following Him. Essential to discipleship. Now, I don't want you to get misled about what Jesus is really saying here. This is important. Some people want to take this verse and say that He's just talking about our external behaviors. That since we're Christians, we need to deny ourselves, which means deny our behaviors and behave differently. Now, that that is true. And it does uh, bear what Jesus is saying here. He is encompassing that truth. But the Lord is actually getting into something much deeper than just our mere external behaviors. right? Isn't discipleship much more than just regular church attendance? Isn't it something deeper and inward? It most certainly is. And so mere external behaviors are not what He's regarding here when He says deny yourself. He's actually talking about the person of who you are. Not just your emotions, not just your feelings, not just how you react and interact with other people, the very core of who you are. What makes you you? Your nature, your soul, your heartbeat. Jesus calls for us to deny that. Put that away. Give up on it. No longer trust in it. No longer live by your own deceitful heart. Deny it. The very core of who you are. The natural question is why? Why deny ourselves and why deny our nature? And we know the answer, right? The answer is found in what? Genesis chapter 3, what happened there? Sin entered the world. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's talking about the First three verses there, he's talking about life before Christ, and he says, "You were by nature children of wrath. By your very nature, you are incurring God's wrath because, by your very nature, you are sinful." David in Psalm chapter fifty one: "I was brought forth in sin; I was born a sinner. Everything about my existence and and birth and being brought into this world is consumed and controlled by sin." The truth is, church, we are captive to a sinful nature. I think it's increasingly important for the church to realize that the sin that we commit against God isn't just piles of acts of sinfulness that incur over on the side. Our sin against God stems from the hearts, the very core of who we are. Doesn't that show how desperate we are? You can pray all you want. You can attend church all you want. You can give to the the offering all you want. You can attend as many Bible studies as you want. You can memorize as many verses as you want. Those those things are not changing your heart. Only Christ changes your heart. Your external works do not work. It's our heart that's the problem. In fact, there's a very sobering reality taught in James chapter 1. Verse 13, James says, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. And then verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. His own heart. Then that heart when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The sobering reality of who we are apart from Christ is that we are condemned not by any external factor, but by our own hearts. We are sinful in the deepest recesses of who we are. That means that all those external behaviors of of lust and drunkenness and immorality and pride and adultery and haughtiness and neglect and on and on and on. All those external behaviors and weaknesses and mistakes and sinful acts and thoughts and words and deeds, those are just manifestations of your heart. And Christ says if anybody's going to follow Me and trust in Me for salvation... They have to give that up. They have to deny it. They have to set it aside and cast it away. It no longer dictates who they are and how they live. True discipleship and the first mark of forsaking yourself is no longer letting your wicked heart determine who you are and what you do and how you think. Jesus says, The first mark of forsaking yourself is rejecting yourself. Giving up on it. Now, quite naturally, if you've been a Christian for any time, you know this is a daily battle. We have a war that we wage, right? Because although we're saved and our salvation is, praise God, secured for eternity, we still have pockets of sinful flesh in our hearts. And every day we war against ourselves. Galatians 5.17 The things of the flesh are opposed to the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are opposed to the things of the flesh. Preventing you from doing what you should want, desire to do. There's this battle that constantly rages within us, right? And every day we are faced with this conscious choice. Don't forget that. This conscious choice of denying self And embracing Christ or denying Christ and embracing self. Christianity is work, church. We are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. A faith in Christ and His work on the cross. But to walk the Christian walk is a continued daily denying of self. And that is maturity. That is discipleship. That is Christianity. How do we measure maturity in the world? How do we measure Christian maturity in those around us? We live in a day and we live in a time and we live in a location where professions of Christ abound. Everybody and their dog thinks they're a Christian and going to heaven. But if we look at discipleship defined by Christ, that's a a quite difficult search. Difficult to find someone like this. And yet Christ says that's what it means to follow me, deny yourself. This is perhaps seen no clearer in no clearer way than the apostle Paul. Multiple times, Paul gives his uh, brief testimony throughout some of the letters that he's written, reminding people of what he was like before Christ and what he was like after Christ and what happened to him on uh, the road to Damascus as his conversion. But there's one singular passage, Philippians chapter three where Paul explains it in pretty good detail. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. I was circumcised of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of God, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal for that law, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under that law, I was blameless. If anybody could boast about their flesh, if anybody could boast about their achievements, if anybody could boast about themselves, it's me. But, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, notice His language, gain Christ." There can only be one ruler of the heart. Yourself or Christ. True discipleship is marked by forsaking yourself. And forsaking yourself means you reject yourself and embrace Jesus. Paul says, I had reason. I had reason to embrace myself. But it was nothing compared to embracing Christ. Secondly, it gets even more difficult according to the Lord's words. The second mark of forsaking yourself is taking up your cross daily. Luke uh, puts an emphasis there that's unique to his account. He's the only one that includes the word daily. Daily which tells us that cross-bearing for a Christian is not something that happens at the end of your life when you're being persecuted to death. Cross-bearing happens at the beginning of your Christian walk every day there on out. Christ says, bear your cross daily. What does that mean? In fact, what is the cross that we are called to bear? There's been much confusion about that. In fact, it's more common terminology now to hear people say, I'm just simply bearing my cross in this matter. People are confused about what it really means. Most people would say that their current job is their cross, or their wayward child is their cross, or uh, the specific illness that they're enduring is their cross, or the particular sin they struggle with, or their finances, or, or that list could go on endlessly. The truth of the matter is those are just byproducts of a sinful world. Bearing your cross is much more intimidating than just enduring the problems of a sinful existence. To understand what Jesus is getting at, we have to understand how the disciples would have heard this statement. Jesus has yet to be crucified. They do not see the cross as a piece of jewelry or a symbol for hope or peace or or a belief system. To them... The cross is the oppression of Rome. To them, the cross is totality. To them, to them, the cross is destruction. To them, the cross is suffering. To them, the cross is death. A man named James Edwards says it like this. He says, the cross was a repugnant instrument of cruelty, pain, dehumanization, and shame. The cross was the most visible and omnipresent aspect of Rome's terror. And it was designed especially to punish criminals and squash slave rebellions in the most painful, protracted, and public manner possible. He goes on to say, there are no known survivors of Roman crucifixions. Therefore, the cross is a symbol of absoluteness and totality. And Jesus means it in both ways. The cross signified a total claim on a life. And it's a claim that now must daily be accepted in the lives of Jesus' followers. The Christian may, like the cross-induced in Roman times, may endure public humiliation, shame, rejection, even death. And Jesus says the mark of forsaking yourself and of true discipleship is being willing to take that cross up for me. If you're going to deny yourself, that looks like willing, being willing to lose your reputation. Lose the peace you may experience. Be at odds with someone you care about. Be distinct from the world. All of those things await the Christian." Who will be faithful to Christ and not to themselves. And you notice Jesus calls this, he calls these men and these people who are going to follow him to a repeated endurance of the cross, a repeated hostility. Every day, take up this cross. What does it mean to bear your cross? It does not mean the job you have, the illness you, you endure the wayward children that are living in your family. To bear the cross means to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. The true disciple will endure suffering and will experience suffering as we increasingly conform to the image of Jesus and less so to the image of the world. And the less we become like the world and the more we become like Jesus, the more hostility we may experience. And so we too must bear the humiliation, shame, ridicule, and pain of the cross. Carry our cross daily. We find that our Lord was so willing to die on a cross for us, we too can bear a cross for Him. Third, He says, follow Me. If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, reject his inward man, Let Him take up His cross daily and let Him follow after Me. There's a systematic progression of events going on here. As you are denying yourself, you're called to stop trusting yourself. There's no better way to do that than to be willing to die and suffer for Christ. And there's no better way to be willing to die and suffer for Christ than to be saturated in His Word, in His heart, and in following after Him. That's the progression we find here. Christ calls those who would come after Him to follow Him in all ways and in all aspects and in all areas. In other words, church, it is obedience. follow Him is to obey Him. To know His heart, to know His will, to know His desires, to know His expectations, to know as much about Him as possible. It's the summation of all that He said. Giving up the entirety of who you are the entirety of the world. Follow after Jesus. This means that it's Jesus who determines everything about us. He determines how you spend your money, how you live your life, what you do with your life. It means that it's Jesus who determines where you live, what job you work, and who you marry. It means that it's Jesus who determines what you watch and how you spend your time and what music you listen to. and where you find your entertainment and how you study with others and how you take tests at school and how you treat other people. It's Jesus who determines the intimacy you have with your spouse and how you raise your kids and how you drive down the road and how you talk to other people. It's Jesus who determines what you laugh at, what kind of jokes you tolerate, how you worship and who you're friends with. Jesus determines how you order all your affairs, what organizations you're allowed to be a part of and not allowed to be a part of it's Jesus who determines how you treat your neighbor and your neighbor's dog when they bark all night long. It's Jesus who determines what kind of clothes you buy and what kind of food you eat and what you do for your free time and any other and every other detail you can imagine in your life. Jesus determines it all. That's what it means to follow Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what it means to be a true disciple. To give up on yourself. To give up on your preferences. To give up on your wants. And quit living your life for yourself. Instead, take up the cross. Be willing to suffer for Jesus and follow Him in every area of your existence. And if that's the definition of discipleship, we are struggling at raising disciples and at being disciples. Oh church, far too long we have operated on the good old boy system, haven't we? And we have have equated and we have measured discipleship with church attendance and not with holiness. We have equated and measured discipleship, church attendance, and not dedication to Jesus. I unfortunately know far too many people who have read their Bibles for decades and attended churches for decades and yet do not resemble Jesus today any more than they ever have. True discipleship is complete submission to the one and only Lord of creation, Christ. And that's what He calls us to here. No longer, if you're going to follow after me, it is complete and total submission. No longer do you determine you. No longer do you live for yourself. And no longer do you seek for your own safety and your own comfort. You follow me if you're going to follow after me, every area of your life is under my rule, my command, my direction, my leading. If I call you to Russia with Ricky and Brandy, you go. If I call you to Weatherford at Trinity Baptist Church, you go. You stay. I am in control. Church, that's discipleship. That's what we are striving for in our personal lives. That's Christian maturity. And that's what we are bringing people along to as the church, right? Don't confuse your spiritual disciplines with Christian maturity. Don't equate the fact that you're reading your Bible more regularly as maturity and that you're praying more earnestly as, as maturity. Don't Don't be misled here. Those things help you grow into maturity. The Christian maturity is marked by complete devotion and submission to Jesus in all areas and aspects of life. To be a Christian is to reject self and embrace Jesus. That's what we find in verse 23 and verse 24. As Jesus goes on in verse 24 to say, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's Backwards thinking to the world's logic, isn't it? We are consumed with taking care of numero uno, number one, self. We are consumed with preserving our legacy, doing things our way, getting our wants and desires. Jesus says that kind of life will result in, result in loss. It will be for naught. But as we see from verse 23, if you're willing to lose your life for My sake, if you're willing to deny self and follow Me, reject self and embrace Me, guess what? Then you will find life. Then you will save your life. Why is that? Because the very source of life, the author of life, indwells you then. And your life will be eternal in Him. Oh, you want to experience life? You want to experience it abundantly you want to experience it to the fullness that you can let me tell you what the answer is it is giving up on yourself and trusting in jesus It is giving up on yourself and following after christ oh how i pray we won't be guilty of wasting our existence here on earth that we would increasingly so put off the old man and put on the new man in jesus The second mark of a true disciple is found in verse 25. And it is for forfeiting the world. So it's forsaking yourself. You're no longer in control, but Jesus is. What a worthy goal for all of us to strive for. Secondly, we identify and characterize a disciple by giving up on the world. Verse 25, what does it Profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. What a sobering, difficult truth given by Christ. And how the church and us personally need to deeply meditate on this particular verse. True disciples give up on the way of the world. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And on His law He meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in a season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that He does, He prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff. But the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand on the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's a contrast between those who walk with God and those who walk in the way of the world. The way of the world is temporary and perishing, and it leads to destruction. It is not satisfying. It can never satisfy. And the true disciple knows this and is increasingly so forfeiting the things and the ways of the world. No longer am I dictated by my own sinful, sinful heart, but I'm no longer by what the world says. I don't find my pleasure in what the world says I should find pleasure in. I don't find satisfaction in what the world says I should find satisfaction in. For it will not profit me to gain the whole world and to lose my soul. This is perhaps the singular, most impactful truth that I would tell anybody to hide in their heart. It's a worthy confession that Peter gives of Christ. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's a, it's a worthy prediction of His death that Jesus gives in verses 21 and 22. I'm going to the cross for your sins and nothing's going to deter, to deter me. But I think perhaps the most significant problem of people I encounter is found right here and they need to know this singular truth. You cannot, hear me, you cannot profess Christ and live in the world at the same time. And yet, that is the plague upon the church. How many worldlians exist in our pews today who have said they believe and trust Jesus for decades and again still look no different from the world as the day they were supposedly converted. What a tragedy for such people for Christ says in verse 25, as plain and as clear as day, those people will forfeit themselves. They will be the people in Matthew chapter 7, standing before the Lord. Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in Your name and do that in Your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you depart from Me. How many people are distracted and captive? to chasing after the things of this world and the pleasures of this life and forfeiting their own soul. J.C. Ryle says, too many people are guilty of the sixth commandment every day as they murder over and over their own soul chasing after the things of the world. Jesus makes it clear, church, to gain the world is to give up Christ And to give up up the world is to gain Christ. Both cannot occupy your heart. J.C. Ryle also goes on to say this. He says, The possession of the whole world and all that it contains would never make a man happy. Its pleasures are false and deceptive. Its riches and rank and honors have no power to satisfy the heart. So long as we don't have the things of the world, they seem to glitter and sparkle at us and they seem desirable, but the moment we get them, we find that they are just empty bubbles and cannot make us feel content. And worst of all, when we possess this world's good things to the utmost of our desires, we find that we cannot keep them. Death comes in and separates us from all our property forever. Naked we came upon the earth and naked we go forth and of all our possessions, we can carry nothing with us. Such is the world which occupies the whole attention of thousands. Such is the world for the sake of which millions are every year destroying their souls. It's inconsistent to be of the world and of Christ at the same time. The true disciple forfeits this world and realizes the value that Christ is placing on both the world and Himself, or in His soul, in verse 25. Your soul is of much more importance than the world. You can gain everything that this world may have to offer, but if you lose your soul, that is for eternity. True discipleship is found in rejecting the world and embracing Christ. Number three, real quickly, verse 26. The third mark of a true disciple is faithful commitment to Christ. <coughs> faithful commitment to Christ. Which naturally flows from the text. If you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, you need to be committed to Jesus. If you're going to forsake this world and all that it has to offer for Christ, you need to be committed to Christ. And Jesus presents this particular truth as He did the, the others Uh, In the negative sense, verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels. If you're going to be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Perhaps the most sobering truth in this whole passage. Again, J.C. Ryle says, there are many ways of being ashamed of Christ. We are guilty of it whenever we are afraid of letting men know that we love His doctrines and love His precepts and His church and His ordinances. We are guilty of it whenever we allow the fear of man to prevail over us and to keep us back from letting others see that we are decided Christians. Whenever we act this way, we are denying our Master and committing a great sin. Each and every one of us know in our own hearts we are far too guilty of being ashamed of Christ. Being ashamed of our only Savior and our only Lord. We have kept our mouths silent too often. We have let our actions betray us. We have turned and walked away from situations and conversations where we should have inserted ourselves in the Gospel All for the fear of rejection and the fear of losing a reputation and the fear of hostility. Which means we struggle with denying ourselves. Which means we struggle with taking up the cross daily. Which means we struggle with following Christ. Which means sometimes we are prone to choose the world and not Jesus. And lose and forfeit the greatest treasure offered to humanity. Being ashamed of Christ is an unfortunate common struggle. An unfortunate common warfare in our hearts. But what does Jesus mean? Because we can all find those moments and examples in our own lives where we have let the fear of men prevail over us. I think what He means is the consistency of being ashamed of Jesus. A constant lifestyle of rejecting Christ and standing for Christ. And unfortunately, there are too many people who occupy that seat. The things and ways of the world are too enticing to them. Too appealing. The pressure of their friends is too much for them to reject. The family that they were raised in and the the childhood that they experienced are too much for them to let go and move on. And so they find themselves by their actions, by their thoughts, by their words to be ashamed of Jesus. You'll notice in verse 26 he says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, I will be ashamed of. It's it's an all-encompassing statement. It's not just ashamed of who Jesus is. It's ashamed of all that Jesus stands for. We find this most prevalent today in social and political discussions like abortion and homosexuality where people want to claim Christianity but also entertain the world by blurring the lines. Christ says if you're ashamed of me and my words and what I stand for and what I call out and what I demand and what I expect, I'm ashamed of you. A sobering reality. Striking reality. True discipleship. And the goal that we are attaining for is a faithful commitment to Christ over all things. Regardless of the result. Regardless of the repercussions. Church, this is what it means to be a disciple. We could have spent so much time in these few verses because I believe with all my heart this is the greatest area of failure in the church and in the life of every believer. Far too long we have been too content with getting by in our Christian faith saying a prayer now and then, reading or memorizing a couple verses every now and then, attending Sunday mornings once a week, that is not the disciple Jesus calls in these passages. Jesus says here that He demands a complete and total surrender. A complete and total surrender invasion. A complete and total change. If you want to know life with Christ, it means you give up life itself. I said at the beginning it's a very hard truth. It's a repeated truth. It's a daily battle that we have to fight. And this is why we have the church. One of the great blessings and benefits of the church Struggle through these things together and walk through these things together and hold one another accountable to this truth. This is what we are striving for to attain in the grace and mercy of Christ. True discipleship. We need to pause now and examine ourselves. It's a good thing to examine yourself to see if you belong to the faith. Paul commends us to do that on several occasions. You need to decide here and now Am I this kind of disciple? Am I following Jesus or am I under the illusion that I'm following Jesus? Because following Christ is an increased effort at surrendering to Him. And this church is what it means to be a true, true disciple. What about you? Are these things even remotely true of you? Or have you been playing the game of thinking you're okay and thinking you're walking with Christ? And finally maybe realize He has not invaded every area of my life. I have not let Him invade and determine and dictate every ounce of my existence. This is discipleship church. This is what we're called to. This is who we are to be. This is Christianity. And I pray that you come to know Jesus in this way. This is life. This is satisfaction. This is fulfillment and contentment in eternity. This is everything to us. Lord, sometimes it is incredibly difficult to communicate the significant truths of Your Word. And You've known all along that I would be inadequate to do so. inadequate and unable to do so, Lord. Oh, how I pray, God, that I could just sit down with everyone for the next several weeks and talk about this passage and apply it and work through it and walk through it and dig into it. It's what we need, Lord. Lord. What You said to these people years ago is still so important and true for us today. We need this truth. We need to know it. We need to live by it. God, simply trust You with it. Knowing our inadequacies to explain some things we ask, great humility that You would let this passage rest upon our hearts. That You would put it within us to meditate upon it. To study it. And to apply it to ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to be true disciples. To give up ourselves and to embrace You. To give up this world and embrace You. And to be faithfully and fully committed to You forever. Help us, O Lord, for this is what You call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.